Um, uh, Greg, uh, Patrick is going to jump up and do the first of our budget vignettes. So you'll remember we talked at the retreat that we um, really wanted to get in the, pro the budget process earlier and really share information with you all earlier. And, uh, and this will be the first of, of, of those. And then um, uh, thrilled to have John Kiefer back and uh, Richard Broad with us today to give you a, a SIPS update. And so they'll take a few minutes to do that. And then Christine Morris will introduce you. You've got an item on your agenda. $300,000 grant that's coming in, um, uh, Brownfield grant, and uh, Christine is going to introduce Morgan Whalen, who's been doing a lot of hard work, and I think a really exciting uh, concept that we're going to talk to you about around the Harbor Park area, and then I'm going to talk to you about the, um, the calendars. You've got the calendar in front of you, and give you a quick overview of that. Uh, a couple of people just asked me, you've got um, two Go Virginia applications on the uh, agenda tonight. They are uh, they were approved um, or supported, endorsed um, unanimously by the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission, which I think is a big deal. And uh, the fact that the region was able to get behind these two. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a lot of money in, in Go Virginia this first round, uh, but the two are the uh, regional broadband that uh, Council Lady, Councilwoman uh, McClellan has been so involved in, but along with uh, ben Davenport from Virginia Beach and the folks in Chesapeake and, and how we um, connect uh, the municipal broadband in the area. Um, uh, initially, the application, and that's really the, the, the one that we will be closer to, and, and um, what the money would essentially pay for is continued design work, finishing the design work, permitting, uh, right-of-way acquisition, and um, contract uh, prep. Um, and a little bit of uh, initial preliminary engineering work for the Peninsula version. Um, the other uh, project is an unmanned systems project on the Peninsula. Really exciting and interesting project that they're getting involved in and a chance to do. Uh, they're going to try and do some revenue sharing, different cities put in. And, uh, I'm, I'm not in all likelihood not going to recommend to you that we get involved in that. It's just a little further out of our wheelhouse or out of our geography. <laughs> but it's a good project and, and pleased that the region was able to get behind uh, those two. Um, so those, those are, that's big um, R9 on your agenda tonight. So Greg's going to jump up and talk to you. Again, this is this idea of really being transparent on the financials and helping you all in the community be fully prepared for um, that discussion. Sorry, sir. Right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with you this evening. Uh, uh, before we get started on our first budget vignette, uh, Mechie is passing around a uh, proposed or a very draft budget calendar for you guys this year, all the way through the budget adoption along with the draft list of the budget vignettes that we will present going forward. You'll notice that uh, uh, there are a number of work sessions, a few more work sessions than uh, we've typically seen in between proposed and approved. Uh, I want to give you, uh, give you guys an opportunity to uh, spend a little time discussing the budget, and I think there'll be some uh, new features added uh, to that as well. Um, but now on to our, our first uh, vignette. Um, today is the first in a series of relatively brief budget-related uh, presentations we'll make to you in preparation for your discussion of the fiscal year 2019 budget. Uh, we're, we're calling the series Budget Vignettes. Uh, we plan to cover topics uh, such as em employee compensation and benefits, uh, CIP capacity and how projects are selected for inclusion in the proposed budget, uh, funding for important city infrastructure including uh, roads and bridges, uh, city buildings, information technology, and fleet, and, and a number of other topics. Uh, the vignettes are intended to be informational for city council and residents uh, and do not include recommendations from staff and do not require action from city council. 
Uh, this presentation will begin with a broad look at uh, the revenues used to fund the city's entire financial plan. Uh, from there, we'll look more specifically at general fund revenues uh, and the levers City Council has to make adjustments. Uh, first, an overview of the total fiscal year 2018 financial plan. Uh, the pie chart shows the city's total fiscal year 2018 uh, financial plan, which totals nearly $1.26 billion. Uh, keep in mind, this does not include grant funds that City Council appropriates during the fiscal year. Uh, the financial uh, plan is composed of the general fund and the non-general funds, which make up the city's operating budget. Uh, we'll go over these uh, in a little more detail uh, in the next couple of slides, uh, plus the CIP, or the Capital Improvement Plan, uh, which is financed mainly by bonds. Uh, and finally, the annual plan, which is funded by HUD and includes the Community Development Block Grant, the Home Investment Partnership Program, and the Emergency Solutions Grant. Uh, this slide provides more detail on our general fund and non-general funds, which make up our operating budget. Uh, first, the non-general funds. Uh, non-general funds are comprised of enterprise funds, special revenue funds, and internal service funds, and in FY 2018 are projected to generate more than $300 million in revenue. Uh, enterprise funds are business-type activities uh, that are funded by user fees and charges. Uh, parking and utilities, so water and wastewater, uh, are, con are considered enterprise funds. Special revenue funds are funded by revenues designated for a specific activity such as stormwater fees for stormwater activities, uh, towing fees for towing operations, and cemetery fees for cemetery services. Uh, internal service funds uh, provide, uh, are funds that provide services to internal departments um, that are funded by charges for those services on a cost reimbursement basis. Uh, for example, fleet uh, maintains the city's vehicles and then charges departments uh, using those vehicles for the cost of maintaining them. Um, and then moving on to the general fund, uh, this is the main operating fund of the city. It funds basic services like public education, public safety, recreation, libraries. Uh, the general fund is projected to generate $857 million of revenue in fiscal year 2018. So we'll dive a little deeper into the general fund. Um, again, the fiscal year 2018 general fund revenues uh, are projected to total a little more than $857 million. Uh, the revenues can broadly be categorized as revenue from local sources, revenue from non-local sources, and other sources and transfers in. Uh, other sources and transfers in include uh, if we were to have reappropriated prior year unspent funds um, and any transfers from our enterprise funds or our special revenue funds into the general fund. I'll go into more detail in the next few slides on local and non-local revenue sources. Uh, this slide has additional information on revenue from non-local sources, which is essentially state and federal aid. Uh, nearly 60% of the state and federal aid uh, that the city receives uh, goes directly to Norfolk Public Schools. Another 33.5% of state and federal aid is dedicated for basic services like health and human services, uh, street maintenance, public safety, uh, and constitutional offices and the jail. Uh, so in total, 93.5% of state and federal aid are already dedicated by the time they, they get into our budget. Uh, the majority of non-designated amounts that come from the state um, come from the state's car tax relief, where we receive uh, about $16.9 million, and uh, from the car, uh, the car rental tax that the, that the state pays us. Um, we can use this $23.3 in total 
um, to provide basic services uh, as we see fit. So next, a little bit more information on revenue from local sources. Among the revenue from local sources, uh, general property taxes is the largest category. Uh, this is comprised mainly of real estate, personal property, and machinery and tools taxes. Uh, then we have other local revenue or other local taxes, uh, which is the next largest category, totaling $166.6 million. Uh, this is comprised primarily of consumer taxes um, and consumer and business taxes like sales tax, uh, food and beverage or meals tax, uh, and business license taxes. Uh, the remainder of, local, of other local revenue um, includes user fees, rental income from city property, and reimbursement of certain city <coughs> expenses. More than half of other local revenue uh, comes from fees, fines, permits, and what we call a pilot or a payment in lieu of taxes. Uh, these include fees charged for recreation services, uh, emergency medical services, uh, court-related services and actions, uh, building permits, and the pilot that, uh, where we receive money from uh, utilities and the Port of Virginia, to name, to name a few. Uh, recovered costs reflect reimbursements received uh, for, the, for general fund expenses. Uh, for example, non-general funds pay the general fund for administrative costs provided to them. Uh, use, in money, use of money and property reflects uh, primarily rental income uh, that we receive and uh, interest income. Next, we'll move on to um, the, the revenue levers that the City Council has. This is the fees and taxes that City Council can adjust. Uh, first, we'll take a look at real estate, ta real estate tax. Uh, this is one all of you know quite well, I'm sure. Uh, real estate tax is the single largest source of local revenue. It makes up 26% of total general fund revenues. Uh, the amount includes current and delinquent real estate taxes, as well as taxes from the Downtown Improvement District, uh, which we'll discuss um, in an upcoming slide, uh, as well as uh, revenue from public service corporations uh, like electric and gas companies and railroads that are assessed by the State Corporation Commission and the Virginia Department of Taxation. Uh, so if you look, Norfolk's rate is in the middle of the seven cities and is the lowest among what we call kind of the four urban core cities of, of Norfolk, Hampton, uh, Newport News, and Portsmouth. Uh, the rate was last raised in fiscal year 2014 by four cents, uh, with two of those pennies being dedicated to schools for construction, technology, or infrastructure. Uh, for the current average residential assessment of about 209000 adding one cent to the real estate tax would increase the average tax bill to a resident by $21 annually. Um, as a result of the city's strong financial management, uh, coming out of the Great Recession, Norfolk has seen the lowest real estate tax rate change since fiscal year 2010 of all the cities in the region that, that raise taxes. Uh, not all real estate is taxable. Uh, in fiscal year 2016, the last year for which we have data, 37.6% of all real estate in Norfolk is non-taxable. Of that 37.6%, approximately 46% is owned by the federal government, 9% is owned by the state and, uh, and its political subdivisions, 32% is owned by, the lo by local government, including NRHA, 
and 13% is owned by secular and uh, religious organizations. I can get you one. According to the Virginia Department of Taxation, Norfolk's revenue loss from non-taxable properties was the highest among all Virginia cities and the second highest among Virginia cities and counties, second only to Fairfax County, whose loss was calculated to be $183 million. There's one area in the city where the real estate tax is, is higher than $1.15. This is the Downtown Improvement District, or DID, a special service district that was established in 1999. The DID was created to provide additional, more complete, or more timely facilities and services in the downtown area. The city contracts with Downtown Norfolk Council to provide the additional services within the DID. Currently, the services are funded by an additional real estate tax of 16 cents. Uh, for anywhere, any property that's located within that, that boundary. Uh, the additional real estate rate was last adjusted in fiscal year 2010 um, and was as high as 24 cents in 1999. Uh, keep in mind, a special service district is not a tax increment financing district or a TIF. In a TIF district, uh, the citywide tax rate of $1.15 is applied to the growth in real estate assessed value from a specific point in time. Now we'll look at personal property tax. Uh, the personal property tax is the second largest single source of local revenue. It makes up 5% of general fund revenues. Uh, the tax base includes vehicles, business property like furniture and fixtures, airplanes, and boats. Uh, the rate was last raised in fiscal year 2011 by eight cents. Uh, for a personal vehicle assessed at $25,000, the tax bill would increase by about $12 a year with a five cent increase in the tax rate. Um, and now we'll look at the food and beverage tax or the meals tax. Uh, the meals tax is the fourth largest local revenue source in the general fund after uh, real estate, personal property, uh, and sales and it makes up 5% of the general fund budget. Uh, the rate is 6.5%, but 1% is designated for the Public Amenities Fund. The rate was last raised in fiscal year 2003 with the increase dedicated to the Public Amenities Fund. Uh, the taxes imposed on prepared food, typically what you'd get at, at restaurants. Um, when, when a patron visits a Norfolk restaurant, they pay both the 6% sales tax and the 6.5% meals tax for a total tax of 12.5 cents. So for a $25 restaurant bill, uh, the sales tax would be $1.50, the meals tax would be $1.63 for a total tax of $3.13. Did you give us, the set, did you give us uh, our revenue on the sales and use tax, the 1%? I, I, I didn't cover that okay. in here because it's one that you guys don't have direct control over, oh, yeah. but I can certainly get it to you. No, just what the numbers were. This, I know that we <coughs> what, what, what type of revenue do we, did we get from it? At some point, just get it, get it to us. Will do. And next, on to the cigarette tax. Uh, the city's cigarette tax generates about $8 million per year. Uh, the cigarette tax has been raised twice in the last three years with both increases dedicated to economic development initiatives. 
Uh, what we've seen recently is that following an increase in the cigarette tax, the city gets a short-term boost in revenue, uh, but that revenue uh, starts to decline pretty quickly in subsequent years. Uh, the motor vehicle license fee. Uh, this fee generates about $4.8 million per year. Uh, the license fee is paid, that's paid is a fixed fee regardless of the value of a vehicle. Uh, the re this revenue source was last increased in fiscal year 2016 to support the Complete Streets initiative. Uh, finally, we'll look at other taxes. Uh, these taxes have limited capacity for a change in the rate. Uh, the admissions and hotel tax is the same across all seven cities. Uh, Norfolk has the highest bed tax jointly with Virginia Beach and the highest tax rate on machinery and tools. Uh, rate, uh, rates on certain taxes are determined by state code, such, such as the local option sales tax, uh, while others have statutory limits, such as a business license and recordation tax. This slide shows the revenue generated from certain fees and charges. The city, the city generates about $3 million per year from permits and about $1.7 million per year from recreation and library fees. So this, this slide summarizes the revenue potential of certain tax and fee changes. Uh, so as you can see with real estate, if it were to increase by one penny, uh, it would bring an additional $1.8 million of revenue into the city. It also has the last time the, the taxes were uh, modified. And finally, the key takeaway is that all of this revenue goes into the big pot called the general fund and then is used to support programs and services throughout the city. Any questions? Yes. I saw your budget calendar. Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there'll be four of us that will not be there on May 1st. Okay. There's an election <laughs> happening for city council. <laughs> yes, and that's also okay. on the city. It's on our, it's also on the um, proposed calendar. Yeah, right. That's we'll make sure we make that change. Uh -huh, yeah. like, <laughs> you guys don't think like us. <laughs> that's why it's a draft. Um, that's that's great we'll input. We'll be on the medium. Yeah, um, so so you can vote, Tom, you can vote for the ordinance to cancel? <laughs> yes. You are? Yeah. No. I'll be yeah. here. Yes, we, need, we can. <laughs> Terry, will, Terry will be here holding down the floor for you. I will be. And uh, Angela, Mayor. I, I, and, I, yeah. um, I want to. There, it says the public hearing uh, reassessment. I know we have to, we're mandated to do that. Did we, didn't we hold that at a meeting last year? We did. We did. So uh, when are we doing our, are we doing the, the actual budget hearing on the second, the day before? Is there a proposed, because that's not, I don't see that on this calendar, unless I'm, maybe it's in April. Oh, I see. It's been over. Okay. Should we do the public hearing on April 18th? Yeah, the public hearing would be on, on the 18th. 18th, okay. That's right, Mr. Riddick wanted to do that before an election. Is it? I don't see it. It's, it's the way they stapled it's it. On it's there. I miss it too. Usually, yeah. Usually, yeah. 
It's, it's on the back of the May calendar. You got to flip it. I think they're two different. I think the one's the city council one, and then one's got the budget. Yeah. Mr. Riddick. Okay. And on April 18th, we have what? A hearing. That's the actual hearing. And we usually grant. And then we vote on the budget in May. May 22nd. Keep in mind, this is very preliminary. And then the, there's a, the public hearing. You're doing a budget work session on the 3rd, but then a public hearing. So we're going to come here, meet, and then go right upstairs? It's like we did last year for the, re, the, the real estate the reassessment the council meeting. Did we do? We did it on the night of a council meeting. Yeah, because Yeah. So we'll note those uh, those opportunities and make some corrections and maybe uh, submit the draft again in, in the uh, in the drop box so you guys can get some more input if you'd like. Yeah, and you're, you're going to give us locations of the budget. <coughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for doing this. All right, Winter. What's next? Uh, we have a SIPS update. We have uh, Mr. Kiefer here, who is no uh, stranger to us, thankfully, and uh, I think Richard's going to give us a bit of an introduction. Very brief. Um, good e evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Um, over the past several months, there have been quite a few changes at SIPSA. So what we thought would be a good idea was to have Mr. Kiefer, who's Norfolk's uh, governor appointee to the SIPSA board and recently elected chair of the SIPSA board, provide a brief update for you. John. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of council. It's, it's uh, Nice to be here. I have mostly good memories of uh, council meetings. <laughs> As uh, Richard mentioned, I, I am the uh, the city's uh, representative to SIPSA, nominated by the mayor, appointed by the governor, and up for renomination here at, at the end of the year for a four-year term. Uh, the last presentation that uh, Richard gave, you talked about a number of things, the Repower South Agreement that I'll talk a little bit about, the Use and Support Agreement, which is the agreement between each of the cities and SIPSA, uh, the Good Neighbor Host Agreement, which is the agreement between SIPSA and, and Suffolk, which includes the landfill, and uh, provided a timeline for, for uh, additional steps. Since then, all of the cities have signed the Use and Support Agreement, so uh, Norfolk and all the cities are tied to SIPSA for 10 to 15 years with a number of uh, renewals beyond that uh, way off into the future. At uh, the first meeting where I was the chairman, we terminated the agreement with Repower South. Now, just to refresh you, uh, SIPSA did a, an RFP a couple of years ago to look at the best way to dispose of their trash, and the selected proposer was an outfit called Repower South, and their plan was to take SIPS's trash, convert it into pellets, uh, recycle some of the stuff, but take the pellets and, and sell them to Virginia Power to be used to create uh, fuel in the Virginia Power's power plants. After uh, a number of delays and their inability to finally get that last agreement with Virginia Power, uh, we terminated that contract with Repower South in August. And as part of the deal, they had a $300,000 escrow that they paid to SIPSA, which, which was received. Uh, a little more on what we do next in a minute. Also, over the last couple months, uh, SIPSA has negotiated with, with Suffolk, and Suffolk City Council has passed the conditional use permit and rezoning 
that uh, allows for cell 7 to the landfill, which is an expansion beyond the current landfill cell that gives us capacity to go on many years into the future. It's not needed until 2025, and it's going to be good for many years thereafter. So everything is clear in terms of uh, the landfill and using it. And also, we've had some discussions with commercial haulers. Now, with the use and support agreements and everything reestablished with SIPSA, the idea was that SIPSA would be set up just to handle municipal waste. Uh, commercial waste was to, you know, find their own uh, find their own solutions. They came to SIPSA and asked if they could use SIPSA's transfer stations with the idea that SIPSA takes the trash into the transfer stations, hauls it to Wheelabrator for the waste energy plant, and gets paid for that. Uh, and uh, so we've been discussing, uh, discussing that and are close to reaching contracts there. And the idea is that uh, per where perhaps previously we were subsidizing commercial haulers uh, under this deal, uh, we, we, the commercial haulers will have a little bit lower rate because they're not getting the full services of SIPSA, but we are making uh, enough of a profit on it that it will have a significant reduction in the tipping fees that the cities pay. Uh, where are we now? SIPS is debt-free. One of the, the big things that uh, SIPS has set out to do eight years ago, some of you may remember all the gyrations and crisis that went on then, but SIPS has paid off all of its debt. Uh, all eight localities are in SIPS and committed to SIPS for, uh, you know, 10, 15 years into the future. Landfill expansion is clear and is now an option. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is talking with Wheelabrator. Wheelabrator oper operates a waste energy plant in Portsmouth. SIPS's agreement with them expires uh, January 25th, so we're close to an agreement to extend that for another year on to the end of 20 2018 to allow us to uh, uh, repeat the RFP process that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, you know, we are going to take that some of that commercial waste to Wheelabrator, uh, handle it through the transfer stations. And we are preparing a new request for proposal for long-term municipal waste disposal. This is a repeat of the process that was done a couple years ago that resulted in, in Repower South being selected. We're intending to go to go through with that. Uh, I'm, I'm anticipating this is happening. We're having a, a board meeting tomorrow. It seems to be the sense of the board to go ahead, as we've indicated there. And uh, finally, uh, the tipping fee is coming down considerably from $125 a ton to less than $70 a ton. At tomorrow's board meeting, we're going to be proposing a public hearing to reduce to $65 a ton. So that's uh, we've uh, cut that in half, and a big part of that is, is paying off the debt. So those uh, expenditures of the debt service are, are no longer there. Now, this is something you've seen before. Uh, from an environmental standpoint, environmental responsibility, in terms of the, the waste management hierarchy, the, the least preferred method of getting rid of garbage is, is landfill with incineration next, and then you move up to resource recovery, recycling, reuse, and source reduction. The challenge is, as you go up this pyramid, it costs a little bit more. And so one of the questions we're going to be faced with is, we can move up this pyramid a little bit to incineration, certainly, and it'll cost a little bit more, and do we want to pay a little bit more, and if so, how much? And that's going to be one of the decisions that we're going to be facing as we come, come through the RFP process, which will be uh, early, early next calendar year. We are issuing the new RFP. We anticipate that that will go out in December or January. We'll probably receive uh, proposals in a March time frame and, and go, forward, uh, go forward from there. 
what we saw with the last RFP to re refresh was uh, there were really four proposals. Uh, one of them was the, on the lower end of the cost was the cheapest one was the repower proposal that I mentioned, and close to that was the, the landfill. And then there were two proposals that were maybe $20 a ton higher. They were to go to continue to go to Wheelabrator, the waste energy plant, and the other one was to haul to a, a private <coughs> landfill uh, out, in, out in Waverly, I believe. We'll probably get some similar results from the RFP this time, so the challenge is going to be do we want to just go with a low-cost landfill solution or do we want to try something a little bit higher on the uh, on the hierarchy there, and again, it you know it, it might cost a little more. And do we want to do that? And if so, how much? So that's going to be a decision we'll be facing in the in the spring, and and uh, they'll involve a lot of discussions. Uh, the uh, also uh, sending all the uh, municipal waste to the landfill, if we choose that option, will require construction of that cell seven in 2025. If we use another option, uh, we'll need cell seven, but it will be a number of years beyond that. Uh, but before cell 7 can accept waste, a new rear access road or a flyover off of Route 58 must be uh, built. If uh, you're familiar with, with going to the landfill out towards <coughs> Suffolk, it, it is a congestion and a safety issue of trucks pulling off of there with a, a lot of traffic. There, there are some transportation plans that VDOT and the Regional Transportation Authority is working on to build an overpass over there, but uh, they're way off in 2038. So the agreement with Suffolk is that SIPSA will have to build a rear access road, and, and so what we'd like to see is if we can move up that uh, flyover from Route 58 uh, earlier so we don't have to spend that expense uh, on, on, the, uh, on the back road. Uh, one other thing is uh, we're, we're very close to hiring a new executive director. The previous uh, director, Bucky Taylor, retired at the end of July. And uh, we, we are in the process of doing some interviews and, and expect to have a selection in the next month or so. Any questions? All right, Mr. Smeagol, um, in the previous deal, Suffolk and Virginia Beach had a negotiated lower tipping fee. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming, once again, that under the new uh, contract, whatever is decided, that everybody is kind of on an equal playing field, or is Suffolk did Suffolk negotiate uh, through the expansion of the landfill and that cell that they will continue to have a lower rate? Because I know that, that caused some inequities and it caused yes, Norfolk citizens to have to pay more uh, towards that debt. Yes, um, and then the second part of that question is the, the, if the tipping fee is going down, um, how, are, how is that savings being passed on to Norfolk? Says it's not. I, I'm assuming it's not. It's not going down yet. Well, right. what, yeah. It, 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 uh, I'm sorry, please. Oh, go ahead. No, I, you, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if it, um, it's an enterprise fund, so you're not going to see it come back into the general fund if it, if it does go down. So, Greg, you want to? Yeah, I think the, the intent is, you know, A, we got to figure out where we're actually going to end up. Um, throughout the, the budget development process this year, um, we'll take a, a look at the, at the where we end up on the tipping fee, the expenses in the, in the waste management fund, and, and make a recommendation. And when it, when it was at its height, the city elected to pay a portion and subsidize it. it. Is all of it paid by the customer citizen now, or is a portion paid by the city? Uh, right now, the waste management fund is, is self-sustaining. So, uh, 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 so that, that means it's solely paid by the citizens? That's correct. So my, my question uh, is, could, would our citizens 
expect to see a decrease in that solid waste removal fee? Was that the same thing you asked? Yeah, that's what I was asking. And I remember when we were discussing repower, I think it was estimated that it was like $25, I think, was going to go down in the tipping fee. But that really the cost savings back to the citizens was going to be minimal because there were other expenses that we were going to have to incur. And I don't know if any of that has changed um, um, since repowers out um, and, and what was going to happen. Because we would, I know we have pressure and expenses, particularly with our uh, equipment, our trucks, and trying to get them replaced. So there, I understand there's an expectation that probably if there were, was extra funds, we probably should use some of that to help replace some of our equipment. But if we're having these huge overages, if we're going to end up having, we, we probably need to start sending that back to our citizens if that were to happen. Because yeah. it, that Hrubs bill is, I mean, water kills yeah. us already, but the it's solid waste, solid waste yeah. that, and all the extra fees that are on that, that I think if we could pass some of the savings back to the yeah. citizens. Patrick, did you say it was going down to $65? January. Yes. In January. Yes, sir. From 125 Yes, sir. So that's $60? Yeah. So, uh, so that's, not, that's only... Yeah, a couple comments from my time as Public Works. I know that the, the fee that you pay to SIPSA is only a small portion of the overall waste management budget. It's like 20% yeah. or something like that. And the other thing is until we see the RFP come in, we need to re retain some flexibility in case we go a little bit higher there. But we are going to $65 a ton. Uh, your earlier question, Mr. Smeagol, the, the rates, it was an essential factor of the use and support agreements that every city pays the same rate. So uh, previously, Virginia Beach had a, had a capped rate that was much lower and Suffolk had free disposal. That is gone. Uh, but what uh, happens now as part of the host agreement with Suffolk is they get $4 a ton for every ton of garbage that's brought into the landfill, uh, which is, you know, a reasonable deal uh, compared to, uh, you know, other cities and probably amount to something like a million dollars a year or so. But uh, they are paying the same rate for the trash that, that they bring okay. to Sipsa. Okay, Ms. Johnson? Uh, mine was the answer, so thank you. Okay, Mr. Kiefer, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Kiefer, thank you. Good evening, Mr. Kiefer. We are very fortunate to have, uh, the region is fortunate to have John in as, as chair, and so we're, we're grateful for your willingness to, to play that volunteer role. Thank you. Um, all right, you've got an item on your agenda tonight, uh, accepting a $300,000 grant from the EPA for Brownfields, and, and Christine, as I said earlier, Christine Morris is going to step forward and, and introduce Morgan Whalen, who's going to talk to you about how we intend to, to spend that money and some of the planning that we're doing. Thank very you. Very close by. Yes, thank you. Mr. Mayor, members of council, city manager, thanks for this opportunity. We are excited um, to continue to advance the resilience strategy, uh, creating the coastal community of the future. And we have been working hard with some of the funds that we have received uh, to begin to advance that uh, idea in the Harbor Park area. And Morgan Whalen is going to tell you about a study that we have recently completed that gives us some ideas about how to advance that and then what role the Brownfield grants uh, could possibly play as we move forward. So, Morgan. Thank you, Christine. Good evening, Mayor and members of Council. Um, thank you for the opportunity to present the Coastal Resilience Design Update for the Harbor Park area. So, I want to begin by first going back in time and looking at the area that we now all know of the Tides Baseball Stadium. Um, this is an area that has a rich history for the city. A significant portion of the site was originally submerged as part of the downstream of Newton's Creek. 
In the 1870s and 80s, the area was filled in and became nearly a 50-acre thriving industrial and warehouse district. It hosted docks with railroad lines that linked to the rest of the city. It was an economic asset. In the late 1970s, the construction of upgrade to the Berkeley Bridge and the, and the um, construction of Interstate 264 began to isolate the area from the rest of the city. As the, industry and, as the industries in Harbor Park declined in the 1980s and the 90s, the city strategically purchased property, leading to the development of the Harbor Park Stadium in 1993. To date, the city owns nearly all 50 acres on this site. Today, the site has direct access to light rail, ferry, Amtrak. It's one of the most multimodal properties in the city, but the site remains underutilized surface parking. Unlike the adjacent downtown, the Harbor Park is not protected by a flood wall. The shoreline continues to erode, and high tides result in frequent recurrent flooding. As you can see on the top image of the left, that's kind of the current condition near the Boathouse Pier. You can see the um, erosion of the shoreline. This area not only offers a key opportunity for economic development, but it also creates an opportunity to address Norfolk's flooding challenges. The legacy uses of these sites, as well as the current conditions, um, qualify this area as a brownfield property. Um, we are using, as Christine referenced, planning resources from the state and federal government to continue to plan for this area as re while reducing coastal flooding risk. We're not starting from scratch. We're continuing to build on prior, um, prior planning efforts. We are utilizing studies such as the 2008 Fugro Coastal Risk Management Study, which was advanced by the Dutch Dialogues that occurred in 2014 as we begin to think of this area as bluer, greener, and innovatively holding water. We're also um, moving forward with some of the ideas that came from the application for the National Disaster Resilience Competition for the Newton's Creek Watershed and understanding it's important to reduce risk on the coast, not only for the Harbor Park area, but for the whole entire watershed, which includes Tidewater Drive and the St. Paul's area. We're incorporating Vision 2100 to our thinking. Harbor Park is in the red area of the site. As in thinking of how this area can be an economic engine, how we can transform a less intense use to more dense, how we can use this area for a potential mixed use pattern, and how we can strengthen and expand the flood protection system of the city. We're also thinking about this area as an opportunity to connect to communities. How do we think about this parcel and its relationship to downtown and the nearly 6,000 residents that call that place home? How do we connect to St. Paul's and what may happen in the future? How does that become an asset and strengthen that neighborhood? And how do we use Harbor Park to connect to the eastern part of the city, the higher part of our city? And how is there a way to potentially connect with Northbrook State University, another economic asset? So we utilized all this background, the past planning efforts, and worked with Strongberg Garrigan Associates and SCS engineers um, to become with this conceptual constructability plan that takes into account the history of the site, past planning efforts, while providing opportunities for enhanced development. Um, recalling this is a layered public benefits approach. Um, to walk through a few things on the plan, what was extremely important is we wanted to continue to incorporate the Tides Baseball Stadium. We wanted to incorporate flood protection system through a flood wall and living shorelines. We wanted to ensure multimodal um, transportation connectivity, so utilizing Tide, Amtrak, bike trails, walking trails. We wanted to expand visibility and accessibility to adjacent neighborhoods. And we really wanted to enhance the civic value of this site. So how do we create a potential recreation destination for our residents? So kind of think of this space. How do we differentiate this maybe from our festival um, park, our cruise terminal, 
and use, utilizing the area closest to the water's edge, which is green, to not only hold water, but can that be spaces for families um, to play catch with their kids or to have picnics. Again, incorporating Elizabeth River Trail, direct access to the water, and the future could there potentially be kayak launches or fishing piers. But at the same time, all the areas that are highlighted in yellow are behind the flood protection system. So you allow areas that are used, you know, sunny, warmer weather to potentially flood in the time of coastal storms. This is just another image of a plan, um, just one section to kind of show how it would, could potentially look. Um, as you can see again, the red dashed line is the, would be the flood wall. So you wouldn't even see it. It would be within the landscape. The area behind the flood wall allows large parcels for potential redevelopment. In front of the fall, flood wall could potentially be living shorelines, space for recreation, incorporating direct access to the water um, with enhancements of Elizabeth River Trail. While conceptual, this plan provides the city's current approach to resiliently reducing coastal risk and coastal flood risk in the future. So now that we go from here, we have, a, um, we have this conceptual plan. So we're continuing to use federal resources to move this work forward. Um, there's a, there continues to be a lot of work to understand the site. Um, tonight on your docket, there's a 300,000 assessment grant um, that can be used to continue to test parcels in this area and other areas along Elizabeth River. Um, we're continuing to identify state and federal resources to continue to move this forward. Looking at strategic funding, um, this, again, this multi-layered approach, are there federal agencies that we continue to work on to move towards implementation? And then a big piece of this will be continuing to gather support from our partner agencies. Again, this is from the state and federal government, folks such as the Elizabeth River Project, Friends of the Elizabeth River Trail, Wetlands Watch, BIMS, just to name a few, as we continue to think about how this area should look in the future. And I'm, that's all I have. I'm happy to answer any questions. So, Ms. Whalen, mm -hmm. in discussing when we're talking about light rail connecting mm -hmm. through all of our destinations as far as Harbor Park is con uh, concerned, one of the things that I notice at present time right now, the gap or the lapse in time going from downtown um, going to point B, which may be Norfolk State, and then C, which may be the Newtown Road. Um, HRT, we, we haven't quite implemented um, a shortened length of time that once I get off the light rail, okay, that I have to wait anywhere from 30 minutes and beyond to pick up other forms of transportation to get me um, to another destination in the city. Have we considered that um, in our plan here in partnering with uh, HRT? Because right now we do have a problem. We can't get our citizens from point A to point B with another form of, of transportation once they leave the light rail. I see, this is more of a long range conceptual okay. plan, Good. but a big key of this is enhancing density. So having, with more density, there's more people, um, and then more access to the site. So um, we think a big asset to this site is the fact that it's directly connected to light rail, um, but not did not look at that um, as part of this plan. So we, we are having those conversations at a broader Good. perspective with uh, Winter and Thelma and some of, these, uh, of their teams of uh, really recognizing some of the challenges we're facing with the, the parking garage next door 
And um, the reality is, if you're going to be multimodal, you've got to be dependent and consistent and timely Absolutely. on all those elements. Good job. Thank you. Thank all right, Mr. Thomas. I just have a kudos. I think it's a great plan. It's not only just building a, a concrete wall, but we're covering it with greenscaping and providing for an expansion of uh, pedestrian access to the waterfront and the uh, Elizabeth River Trail and all that. So I, I think it's great. Thank you so much. Good job. Good job. Hi, Morgan, thank you. Very well done. Um, so, Mayor, that follows um, uh, Christine's and um, Katarina's presentation a few weeks ago at, at Chesterfield Heights, and so you're really starting to see um, what the planning efforts, what, what it means to uh, make these development decisions through that lens of resilience. And um, I think Mr. Thomas is right. You know, the, the, this gives us a very different look than maybe we have done in years past. Um, uh, I believe that this is a part of town for all the reasons Morgan described that's going to be um, uh, coveted sooner than later. And now we've got a sense when somebody comes in and says, I want to put a mixed-use project down there, now we know what to tell them our expectations are. Uh, the next item I'd like you to uh, take a look at is your, uh, your calendar. So we, we've given everybody a, a calendar for the year. It, it is not intended to be uh, final, but one for you to contemplate. Um, uh, Betsy gave, handed out when, when uh, Greg did his piece, these budget presentations. And so part of what we'll do is overlay these things. And um, a couple of things that I would just point out to you. You asked for uh, appointee reviews. Uh, we've got those right now scheduled for um, December 5th. Um, you asked for times to actually um, uh, designated times to, to uh, discuss and, and make your board appointments. So you'll see uh, specific dates each quarter, uh, March 27th as an example, uh, when you're scheduled to do uh, your board appointments. You'll see that when you get to, um, and I need a little bit of feedback from you either tonight or um, going before we adopt this calendar. Uh, last conversation we had, we switched your um, fall retreat to before your summer recess. So you'll see it on here in two places. You'll see it on here in July, uh, which I think is what the majority said, um, but you'll also see it on September. So we just need to get some feedback from you all of, of, of which spot um, uh, you prefer. So you'll see uh, that in place. And um, I think those are the, uh, the main things. Um, you'll see a, an organizational meeting on the uh, uh, 3rd of July. Uh, we tried to capture things like BML and NLC, so you'll know when those things are. So, frankly, if you've got things that um, you're aware of that we didn't get on, please let us know. But uh, we'd look at um, asking you to approve this um, uh, probably in a, couple, in a couple of meetings. But I know a couple of you have things you're trying to get scheduled for uh, the coming year. So, so any, any reaction to, to the calendar? You've had it for a little bit. Oh, we just, while you were out, we, oh. May 1st is city council election. All right, and there's a work session. So you had. Well, Martin. It's true. It is that what Yeah, I saw that. So tell me about January. Why we're meeting on the second, third, and fifth. So the is January. Because we can't meet on the second. Um, so, the holiday. Right. Yeah. So you've got the the, the holiday on the second. So yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry. What is the question? You got the MLK. Um, so what, what, I'm not sure what you're asking. What, why are we not doing three meetings? Well, no, we're. I'm not you looking at the budget. You and the oh, budget. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. But it would still be the same. Never mind. And, um, and I hope I appreciate you 
suggesting putting the retreat in July because I, I had asked earlier if it didn't make sense to do September and then February, so that puts a nice gap mm -hmm. between the two, but then it puts it also right after we voted on a budget, so we'll have a better, I mean, the budget year starts. So mm -hmm. yeah. September just didn't make sense to me as a council member. I, I think we just did it, but it, right. um, you can get a forecast, budget mid-year budget forecast, or uh, finalizing the budget forecast, I guess, during that time. Sure. Sure. No, I, I, I feel good about it. Again, I think that the, the conversation was uh, give us some time. It's a bit of a scramble after the retreat to show up at your next meeting with something meaningful that say, hey, here's what we heard, and here's how we're reacting. So what this does is gives us that recess to, to have that, that conversation. The one I felt stronger about was that spring, not pushing that so close to the budget. I like doing that in, in February as opposed to, to March or, or, or closer to the retreat. So I, but we'll do whatever whatever you all prefer, obviously. Is everybody else okay with that? Carrie, it won't matter to you. I don't care. I'll be thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be our facilitator, right? All right. I'm here for So um, then I'm going to, uh, unless I hear something different, we're going to go with the July retreat. Yes. Y'all want to think through that some more? So the, the question on the table there is just whether... Um, whether you prefer July or September. We don't have to decide tonight, but we need to, we, we ought to nail it down. Yeah, um, we, we are in recess August. So you'd be doing the retreat right before your recess. The week before. It's actually, uh, recess I think it's actually two weeks. Two weeks. Uh -huh. so. So you do the retreat the 23rd, wait, yeah, so the 23rd and 4th. You eliminated the August meeting. We were, we've always had a meeting the last week in August, so that's been eliminated, and now that's part of the big, so the whole month of August, there's no council meetings at all. Correct. Which is better for planning reasons. It's very strange. We actually have a six-week recess from July. So, but now we're going to the whole month of August without a meeting. They took a meeting off of the end of August and moved it up. So we've always had a meeting the last week in August. So we're still going to recess. Meeting that fourth Tuesday, Tommy? Yes. Tuesday, right. July, we won't be here. Right. Okay. Fourth Tuesday in July, so we won't have a meeting. Yeah. We won't be able to have All right, so just to, um, give us some feedback. and and you. Um, <laughs> And then the other thing I'd ask you, Greg pointed out this this calendar, these these little budget vignettes. We're we're walking that we're balancing this idea of um, y'all don't want to be presented. I'm sorry. July retreat in August. Not probably won't do it that. No, July retreat is July. July retreat is twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty third, no, we're not. No. It's because there's an extra week in July this year. They took that meeting and took it off in August. So you, you guys, were, you're going to get five and a half weeks after our retreat to have to go back and fix or whatever we bring up at the retreat, which is <laughs> right. good. That is good. I'll, I'll point out there's a nine-week gap between our formal session. If anything comes up during that nine weeks, we call it. So, I, mean, I just want to point yeah. that out. It's a big gap. What'd you say? And we can vote on our retreat. A nine weeks? Yeah. 
there's a nine week gap between our two scheduled formal sessions from July to September. We've, Terry, we've, and Paul, we've voted at um, retreats before. Yeah. We've also voted at week sessions. Yeah. All right, Alan, any comments? I know you were pretty involved in putting that together with Kim. Well, the only suggestion I would make was that I know that um, Tommy and Andrea and I were briefly discussing boards and commissions, and I think that uh, it might work best for the council to receive the information sooner than the last week. Uh, Kim and I were speaking, and I know because of the field trips that y'all would like to have, mm -hmm. that uh, we just put those board and commission dates on there, but it would be better if we discussed them prior to the last meeting so we could adopt the resolution the last week. So we just need to work on that and, and if you just give yeah, us a week give I think time we'll, it mm -hmm. works out sure. close session. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, and then we're 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 we've got this balance of not wanting to present to you, which is we, we, we hear you loud and clear on wanting the, the ability to discuss, but these budget vignettes we think are pretty darn important. And so it, it is going there's no way to do it other than to present to you. So take a look at these You'll see kind of our schedule, nothing magic about it. I think we've, we've put, I think Catherine and Greg and their team have done a nice job of getting everything on here. But if you look at this and say, hey, I'm, I, I want to hear about something different or I don't need to hear about uh, something, just let us know that. But otherwise, we're going to stay on that path. So, Mayor, we, we adjusted the schedule a little bit this morning, this evening, to, to accommodate the closed session. But we had agreed to a... Um, Council priorities time uh, at the beginning of tonight, but we've got time to do that here at the end if uh, council is so inclined. I'll come back. Come back and review it. Mrs. Smith or Johnson. Um, there was a little bit of confusion on my part about the ordinance that we're passing, voting on tonight about the. Um, Pipeline. And so I had approached uh, Doug with this, um, trying not to wear my Sierra Club hat. Um, I, you know, it, it came up pretty fast. He explained this to us why that had happened. And of course, we're not voting on it tonight. This is a public hearing. But I didn't know how you felt about it. I mean, it's obviously, if you drive out to the western part of Virginia, you see a lot of signs opposing this. And I felt like before we voted on it, um, maybe we should have some um, bit of an information session or update on uh, the facts of it. I myself had to research much of it after I saw that this was going to come up to our attention. So I've talked with Martin about it. Martin felt maybe we shouldn't do anything until after the November election. Um, you still feel that way? Uh, not researched on Okay. So anyhow, I didn't know how you all felt about it, if you were comfortable with us moving ahead without any further discussion or information gathering. Um, I'm just bring that up for us to okay. talk about. So, Terry, um, I made some phone calls too as, as far as the, the pipeline um, is concerned. And I wanted to know um, how much information the general public had and whether um, they had a clear understanding of what could take place or what was being asked of us to tonight per se and Bernard gave me a clear 
um, understanding, but I, I'm still concerned um, if the citizens understand that the sole responsibility um, isn't ours, am I correct, Mr. Mayor, um, that the general public understands that where our position is in all of it, all of this, that it is going to proceed, if I'm not mistaken, Bernard, um, the pipeline um, and the role of city council, what our stance is on right. this. That, that, that's correct. Uh, okay. that there's, um, the, the city council isn't requested to uh, vote on um, whether it approves the pipeline or not, but uh, Dominion Energy, which is constructing it, um, requested easements for property we have in Suffolk, which property they could condemn, so that um, r rather than uh, going that route, we endeavored to negotiate terms which we think protects us, uh, our water system, uh, and, and that's the status now, is that rather than fighting uh, the condemnation, we elected to negotiate protections. And, and it, it's not a vote on whether you approve of natural gas, it's just a, a vote on the terms of the easement across some of our land in Suffolk. So I'm not privy to what our negotiations have been for our protections. Nobody has put that in. I mean, I don't see that in there was, it's in, They gave us some information in this brief. I don't know if you saw that. So the other or, thing I was interested in also was what other counties were doing in the state. And we don't have that. Does anybody have that? I mean, I thought it might be interesting to know what um, everybody else had chosen. Relative to the easements coming across right. their, their, their mm -hmm. property? Okay. Yes. Actually, yeah. Um, my, my, uh, I had a couple of questions earlier. Uh, one, would we be paid, you know, for this? And we will get a small amount, I believe. That's correct. And, uh, also, if there were an erupt, if there were a rupture, you know what impact would it have? So I spoke with Christian Lentz this morning, and there's one that's already there. It's been there since the fifties, you know, going through under our water shed. Uh, and if there were a rupture, then it would just dissipate. It would be no impact on the uh, on the water system at all. And so uh, that's what that's what gave me comfort, uh, the fact that. There's one that's already been there since the 50s. We haven't had any problems. And that there would be no impact on the uh, water system should there be a rupture. Terry, other questions? No, that was it. I just was wondering if anybody else wanted more information. So I guess I'm just asking if somebody gets a chance to let me know what other counties have been doing. Um, I'm a little anxious about what Mr. Riddick has said. You know, I know this, is, I think it's crossing over 200 um, waterways in the state through the, you know, or maybe not just our state, also West Virginia and North Carolina. It's a number of waterways. So, Terry, um, what's the major, the major point of opposition on this? Is it the destruction of land? I, I think or, it's um, cons it, environmental. Okay. Also, some people environmental has many branches, but natural gas can be considered a clean energy. Right. Um, compared to coal. Compared to coal. Right. right. Um, there, um, you know, I, on a smaller scale, I looked at how Virginia natural gas put in all the lines through Norfolk, 
um, and they really didn't destruct any of our trees or anything. Uh, I didn't like what they did to the roads, and but we ended up going back and cleaning, telling them they had to clean it up. But I, I, I just I. I, yeah, I, the only argument I've heard is more at the gubernatorial <laughs> level that there's people that are anxious about it, but there really hasn't been much conversation against it. Um, uh, you know, for I haven't seen it on the news. I haven't, I mean, other than the yeah, election. Yes. Haven't you seen the yet? I don't watch TV anymore. I don't have time to watch TV. Well, my my point was not that I was taking a side on this. You're right. I know. My point was that I was seeing statewide and in West Virginia and in North Carolina, much uh, controversy about it, both sides. And so I just didn't want us to present this and quickly have it go through without citizens and perhaps council making sure we were comfortable supporting this. And, and if, we, if you guys are, have already done your homework and you already know you're in favor of it and think we've done enough due diligence, I'm fine with that. So I Terry, just, Terry, I don't think our vote is whether or not we are for or against the pipeline. Right. Yeah, so that, that's not our, that's not what we're being asked. So, Doug, why don't you state what we're being asked? Well, you've got easements um, uh, coming across, just what Bernard said, coming across your land in Suffolk that is land that's there to support the, the water system. And um, uh, we're granting those, uh, uh, Kristen and um, Chip and Alex and uh, some of our team have had uh, quite a number of meetings with the Dominion folks uh, to make sure that, that it comes across in a way that's acceptable to us um, at, the, at the depth that, that is acceptable and um, we've reached a conclusion that it is and so that's really it's really that simple. Kristen would you add anything? My If you all are comfortable with it, I just, you know, I, like I said, I came from Western Virginia last weekend, and I'm telling you, there are littered with sites. Those people are up in arms about this pipeline. And so I didn't want us to just blow it off if there was, uh, were people uh, that were, uh, had some conversation with so tonight you open the bid, and then uh, two weeks you vote, and in the meantime we'll get the information that the vice mayor is looking for in terms of uh, information. Of Somebody else wants it. Thanks. Okay. Other council concerns? Oh, we want to go, um, Mr. Smeagle, Then we'll go to uh, Mr. Oh, Smeagle. You, you ready? I'm good. Okay. okay. Mr. Smeagle? Um, animals. We haven't talked to them. Yeah. We, yes. We haven't talked about meeting. them in a long yes. time, which sometimes it can be a good thing. Haven't talked about them in here in a long time. <laughs> So, for those, those that were on council previously, I thought we... What year? I, I thought we had addressed this issue. And, you know, I, I know Marcus dragged his feet on this, but we, we, we had a plan in place to do some benchmarking with... Um, we knew that we would never be 100% no-kill. We knew that would never happen, uh, and we couldn't afford it. But we put in a plan to kind of hit some numbers... And I think, where are we, four years later, Terry? Oh, at least. Four yeah. years later, the numbers that get emailed to us every month are the same. And look, I, I don't want to get, I'm going to have NAC people, you know, emailing me saying, I can't believe you said it. Does, at the end of the day, and you guys spread my email, it's about how we can improve 
um, our services and, and possibly save some more animals' lives and educate the public more about spaying and neutering. It's bigger than just euthanizing animals. It, it is a whole system. And we, we just aren't going anywhere. So and I, I love so the word, like, so hold on, hold on, make on. Okay, sorry. So, and I, I know I, we get the sympathy part about that the people at NAC do God's work, and, and we, I hear all that. It's just we got to do something. And every time, there are people watching. There are people watching every single thing that happens at NAC. And every time something, an animal gets killed that shouldn't have been killed, and the no kills, in we hear, opinion. in their opinion, we hear about it. And so at some point, there's got to be a mediation. There's got to be, if the will of this council was to set benchmarks and to get it there, then we should have been there. It shouldn't have been staff members' political agenda, which is what I think kind of slowed this down. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you, I, I have been some very angry at the partnership that NAC has had with PETA um, and uh, that continued relationship. Um, and I think it just drives the controversy even more. Um, that we've had. Um, so at some point, we've got to do something about this. It, it, it is too much for us to have to deal with this all the time. Council gave direction four years ago and nothing has been done on it. Um, it, it I'm tired of it. I'm just, it, it, we've got to act on it. I, and I would like to add that I think we need to go more into beyond the scope of shelters. I think we ought to be looking at policy settings. And some and of this policy could what? Policy, policy settings. Policy some setting, of this right. could include, uh, you know, uh, the puppy mills and controlling right. those. You know, there there's some localities that have gone that n nothing but rescue animals can be sold at pet stop um, stores. And there are some things we can do uh, as a what I see our role also is policy settings. So, Dirk, part of what I think that we've been asking, uh, I know since I've been on the council. I think one of the, one of the first meetings that right, you had right. as interim yep. was about this very uh, conversation. Uh, we need to have a presentation addressing what Tommy has said and what Terry has said uh, around best practices, around policies, uh, around uh, alternatives, and what's Cost. our path costs and, what, and what's our path forward. And we should have a, some quality time, a quality presentation, and then we can have the information to make. Uh, some decisions because some of it's going to be budgetary. We understand that. Uh, right. Along with policy, usually money drives policy. So in order to tee up that conversation, I've asked uh, John Sanderlin and I had a conversation last week about this task. And John, we, we've got um, there's not there's a lack of trust on, on different sides of this. A lot of what Mr. Uh, Smeagle just said. So I need you to come in with sort of clean eyes, impartial, and and look at what we do. Look at what best practices are and help us frame this conversation for the council. So John and the audit team are going to do that. We've actually got a scoping meeting set up for Monday to begin that piece. I think it'd be helpful. You've seen what we've written, and folks So, so Doug, Doug, also, you some external. There are other people in the industry uh, around the country and in the state that can provide additional information, and we should seek their input as well so that the council... Both sides. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we had, I had not, I had asked that we not talk about this at the retreat because I didn't think it was a, a retreat topic. Setting here. But we did say that mm -hmm. we would make, a, have a, a time set aside. So I think we are, we need to do are that. Are you comfortable with, with, with John doing a little bit of pre-work for us all? Just because so, I think it, he is, he brings that sort of impartial 
look that you all value that allows us to frame that conversation a little bit, and then we'll bring in. I think John sides. can be a part of it. I think that's a piece. As long as it's not a six-month career. My, my, my question is, uh, now John, we use the acronym in what, NK? Norfolk Care Sheriff. Yeah, and that's out on uh, Raby Road. And my question is, is there enough space there? You know. Well, some people will argue that it's not about the space, mm -hmm. and some people argue that it is space. Right. We, we, uh, have you, have you ever been in there? I've been there before. I mean, it's, it's. No, they've done a great job with what they have, and yeah. they, yeah. they've yeah. done. And some do we have enough things. employees? And I, so, you know, yeah. when this whole conversation came up years ago, and I know this probably wouldn't happen, and I don't know what happened to some land that we had out in Chesapeake that we used to rent to a farmer. You know, every one or two years. I don't know if we still have that land or not. We do. Yeah. And I thought about it. I said, well, heck, if you want them to stay alive, let's take them to Chesapeake. Let them live as long as, as they can possibly live. You know, and, 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 and hire <laughs> animal and, farm. And hire enough people to come in and take care of them. Uh, over in Newport News, uh, their SPCA, uh, they have a, a petting zoo as well. You know, so I'm just saying, if we have that land and if you want them to stay alive, then Let's take them out there and let them live as long as the Lord will let them. So, Mr. Riddick, the um, the Norfolk Cares um, shelter mm -hmm. and visiting um, there, they've come up with some really good alternatives as far as um, space, individual space for the, the animals. Mm -hmm. um, they've also looked into how they schedule their employees to basically which was really important to them to fit the public's needs versus how they could possibly figure out ways um, for their employees to come in um, throughout the week. So they thought of some alternatives and made some adjustments there. So it's a totally different um, place to visit than what it used to be. So We got this. This is so sad. Bristol was killed, you know at the animal care center. Now I have a cat and a dog, and uh, cats are some pretty pretty good good pets, you know. But in this particular instance, this was a homeless person, I think, yeah. that could, didn't, could not take care of the, uh, the cat. So, you know, you got, you got some extenuating circumstances. Um, I'm not in the middle of the argument about, you know, yeah. Or anything like that, but I just think it needs to be worked out. And if we have land out of Chesapeake, if it's ours, if you got somebody like Bristol that you want to stay around, just let it go out there. And there's, and there's that might sound insensitive. No, but there's, you yeah. know, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. And if you read, I understand that. But if you read on Facebook, it, you know what's being said on Facebook. We look really bad in this situation, especially when somebody offered to take the animal in. And I, you know. If the cat was hissing, I, and you guys heard my argument with my cat, she hit my wife wanted to get rid of her so fast because of how much she was hissing at us and stuff. She was adjusting, but she's a sweet cat now. So there, we have to have I mean, the, the conversation. Let's bring the information because okay. you, 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 there, there's a lot of uh, energy around this conversation, and the council needs to be briefed. Um, and John Sandlin is a piece of it. I don't I think he he's. He could be a piece of it, but we need to make sure we, we're fully aware of uh, expectations and options and best practices, and as Terry talked about policies. And, and Tommy said it best, we have to do something. We just can't continue the status quo. It's unacceptable. Okay, I got it. 
Okay. All right, maybe. Me. Um, HRT. We have a, a lot of citizens who um, they use um, going from point A to point B again, but the extended period of time that they have to wait once they get off the tie to go to another destination in our city, the buses are not meeting the needs of our citizens. And, and buses in general or buses as a connected tie? I think it's buses. It, I think it's both. Okay. And so if we're trying to have this state-of-the-art transportation for our city, um, our citizens shouldn't have to wait an extended period of time in their travel um, if they're in the city. We're having a lot of, of internal conversation about what that looks like and how, again, what I said earlier, how, how you create that multimodal city. And part of what we're talking about is, frankly, trying to get more folks riding the tide, coming here, coming to City Hall. And, it's, and it, as I said earlier, it's, it's, uh, we're going to have to have a conversation about our willingness to invest to make those um, schedules more robust. But um, I hear you. Do we know <coughs> what that cost is? Because I'm not prepared to give no, no. them $2 yeah. million dollars no. again. I hear you. <laughs> For the record, it didn't take an entire year to get the council interest and finish that section. We made it under 12 months. Mr. Homewood. Mr. Homewood.